So any of you guys remember uh, the old Prince Valiant cartoons? Who remembers Prince Valiant cartoons? Yeah, okay. Uh, my brother and I used to love going to my grandparents' house on Sunday afternoons after church because they'd always stop on the way home and get the newspaper uh, and, and give us the funnies. And uh, Prince Valiant was one of uh, a favorite of my brother and myself. But if, you, if you've never seen it, for those of you that didn't raise your hand, it's a was a syndicated, I, I'm not sure if it's still printed or not, it was a syndicated comic strip uh, created by Hal Foster in 1937 as a, a, a fantasy tale about an exiled prince uh, who goes on an epic quest to become one of the knights of the round table and to embody the high ideals of chivalry, the ideals of courage and uh, of honor and courtesy and justice uh, and readiness to help the weak and all of that uh, in the service of King Arthur and for the glory of Camelot. And I think, you know, most folks like those kinds of stories. It kind of resonates with people. Uh, we love the the stories of daring quests done by a hero or heroine, uh, stories of triumph over adversity, uh, do or die uh, adventures against insurmountable odds, uh, stories that, that let us leave behind the mundane world that we know and explore places uh, that we've never been and catch even if just for a moment uh, at least a glimmer of hope that this life is about something greater than just the day-to-day -day drudgery that we endure. And if, so if you ever felt that way, uh, and if you're a part of this fellowship, I want to tell you today that you don't have to resort to fantasy uh, or escapist fiction to be a part of a grand heroic adventure, because as a body of believers, you and I are a living part of one right now here today. Uh, one that stretches from our first parents in Eden to the people of the Exodus, through the Holy Family in Bethlehem, to the apostles of our Lord, from there through the first century church in the Middle East, to the cathedrals of the Middle Ages, from the Reformation of Luther and Calvin in the 1500s, to our Pilgrim Fathers in Leiden, and then from Plymouth Rock right here to Zephyr Hills. A grand narrative of redemption that follows the story of the rescue of God's elect from the clutches of the demonic forces of this world and into a victorious life of service to King Jesus. A life of ups and downs, of twists and turns, unexpected dangers and unimaginable grace as Christ sends us out to accomplish his purpose in this world and empowers us to do the valiant deeds that the Bible says God has prepared for us beforehand to do in the advancement of his kingdom. Uh, and I want to show you that through the reading and the exposition of two texts again this, uh, this Sunday. The first from our primary gospel reading for the year, which is from what gospel? Matthew. And the second from the book of Revelation chapter 12, uh, that together gives us the true story of King Herod and the Christmas dragon. And so my first reading is going to be with you, uh, and I hope you have your Bibles in front of you. Uh, I encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 7 to 18. So listen for the voice of the Spirit. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. And then flip all the way to the back, the book of Revelation, not Revelations, Revelation, single Revelation, chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading verses uh, 1 to 17. This is the Apostle John writing, and he says, a, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. As she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she will be nourished for 1260 days. And now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. And therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, so that the place where she was to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out of his mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. 
And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy and, and gracious God, the bright splendor of whom the nations seek. Be present, we ask, Father, now with us as we pray, and by your Holy Spirit, uh, make our hearts discern the glory of your Son through the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your most holy word. And we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, you know, for most of us, uh, Christmas is a time when we want to think about uh, what's good in the world, right? And forget about the bad. We give a little more this time of year. Some of us go to church a little more often, and we spend more time with our extended family than we do at any other time of the year, and that may be good or bad, depending. Uh, but it's generally a time of celebration and, and vacations and relaxation. So, so who wants to be reminded, really, about the darker side of the Christmas story at a fun time like this? But there are some questions about this season that the Scripture forces us to face head on whether we really want to or not. Uh, like the fact that we considered last week uh, how no one was really ready for Jesus' birth when he was born. Uh, or today, the fact that it took the inquiry of outsiders, of strange-looking magi from the East, to be exact, to draw the attention of the Jewish establishment to the prophecies surrounding his birth. And maybe most troubling of all, how the inquiry of those wise men set off some unsavory events that we rarely make mention of when telling the Christmas story. Uh, specifically, the fact that someone wanted the young Jesus dead. And yes, of course, we know that was King Herod, humanly speaking, for his own obvious selfish reasons. Uh, but the bigger question of who or what was the spirit behind that death decree? And how does it fit in with the grand narratives of salvation that overarches all of Scripture from beginning to end? Uh, and to understand that, we need to go to that text from the book of Revelation that I read to you concerning the sign in heaven. The woman pictured there that I read to you about uh, is representative of God's chosen people of the nation of Israel. Uh, and we know that because the imagery is similar to the vision of the sun and the moon and the 12 stars that bowed down to Joseph in his dream from Genesis 37. You guys remember that story? Right? Daniel dreamed that a moon and stars bowed down to him. Or not Daniel, I'm sorry, Joseph. Um, and symbolism pushes out even further until we see Isaiah's prophecy of a woman bringing a male child to rule the nations with a rod of iron, which prophecy, of course, found its literal fulfillment in the virgin womb of Mary. Uh, and yet even here, uh, not to exalt her personally, but only to point to Jesus because Mary was only the greatest in a long line of women, all of whom in their own way pointed to the deliverer of God's people beginning all the way back with Eve herself, uh, Eve whose promised seed would crush the head of the serpent. And then the promise runs on through Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and so on. As one author wrote of this, the whole ancient church, as it were, longing for and laboring to give birth to the Messiah till he come. Uh, and of course, it's obvious who the dragon is, right? Yeah, the, the great serpent of Eden the longtime accuser of the brethren before the throne of God, Satan, of course. Uh, and along with all of his lesser puppets and toadies that he controls on earth uh, through all of time, right? All the way back from King Herod to our modern-day Pol Pot to Mussolini, uh, Chairman Mao, uh, all those guys who run around like madmen pulling out their hair trying to stay in power and persecute the people of God. And, and the reason I'm, I'm bringing this together for you this morning, I wanted to pull these texts together for you today, 
Uh, because as I said on Christmas Eve, if we aren't careful, we can so easily fall into the trap of so romanticizing the manger and the angels and the shepherds by visualizing them in such a distant, faraway motif that we lose sight of the intense reality and the actual meaning for us personally of what the Christmas story is about. And when that happens, we end up concentrating on just the candy canes and the cuddly farm animals and the manger and the mistletoe and wise men's gifts. Because there is another side to the whole Christmas event. Uh, one that's maybe not so obvious, but in many ways much more real, and it's the spiritual dimension behind it. It's the why behind why a Savior was needed. Uh, and it's the what that he actually came to accomplish. And it's the how it all came about, and it's the who that it was defeated. Because, brothers and sisters, Christmas is about so much more than generally meets the eye, even among Christian folks. There's a side to it that's a lot more brutal. There is a side to it where mighty angel, uh, angelic beings engage in epic battle. There's a sign, as we read, that involves a multi-headed dragon and war in heaven. A side that displays the righteous anger of God and reveals enemies fighting enemies, including some very real flesh and blood enemies right here on earth. Human dictators, as I said, who go to Herod-like lengths to persecute the church in modern days and in ancient times. Demon-backed organizations like Planned Parenthood that make Herod's slaughter of the innocents look like a Sunday school picnic. Any number of ungodly social media influencers whose antics would make the pagan idol-worshipping Egyptians blush. We don't often think in Christmas of these terms, and maybe you never have thought of Christmas in these terms before. But it's a reality. And to top it all off, we need to recognize that we're right in the thick of this whole ongoing battle. We are combatants in the very same war that's being waged in the heavens. But the good news is, the good news of Christmas is that we don't have to be afraid because it's a battle that's already won. Right? Uh, our Savior has already overcome the devil. And because of our connection to Christ, we are overcomers too, and we're just waiting to hear that trumpet blast. We're just waiting to join in that great carol from Revelation that I read to you this morning. This is they, which means us, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. That's the good news. But I'm sure I don't have to tell you that we're not in heaven yet, right? Just, just look around. Because for right now, we're still in that woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. For now, we're still those being pursued by the dragon, and we will be until we leave this earth, because whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, you are at war. You may not be doing your part. You may not be fulfilling your duty. You may actually, by your lethargy and your negligence, be giving aid and comfort to the enemy. But either way, you cannot escape the reality of spiritual conflict. And even though Satan in this passage that I read to you is pictured in a symbolic way, don't make the mistake of thinking he's a mythological being. Uh, the whole Bible teaches plainly that evil is headed by a definite person who is antagonistic toward God. And his only purpose is to do all that he can do to frustrate the fulfillment of God's plans. Uh, and how does he do it? Well, remember what his name means. Accuser. He tries to frustrate the plans of God's people by getting us to accuse ourselves with questions like, how can I possibly call myself a Christian after what I've done? Or he tries to get us to accuse other people from self-righteous impulses or selfish motives. 
He even tries to get us to accuse God with thoughts like, if God really loved me, how could this difficult time come into my life? Or how can God be a God of love and allow suffering in the world? Or how can I possibly trust God after what's happened to me? And, and in the battle against us, Satan will use every dirty trick in the book. Lies and deceit, slander, hypocrisy, temptation, and much, much more to neutralize God's children spiritually, deceiving us into compromise and seducing us into error. And you might be thinking right now, well, gee, thanks, Pastor. That was a great way to get rid of the last of my Christmas spirit for the year. Um, telling me, Merry Christmas. Oh, and by the way, you have a powerful enemy that hates you. Uh, but you need to know this, guys. Uh, I need to know this so that we can hold on to our real joy. Uh, a real joy that's not the, the temporary holiday rush like the whiff of pine needles that just sweep out the door. You need to know the truth so you don't get caught up short by life's difficulties. And so that you do know that you have a hope for the future. And most importantly, I think you and I need to remember why it is that Satan hates us so much. Church, he hates you because Jesus loves you. Right? He hates you because you love the Messiah that he hates. He hates you because he tried to destroy the Christ, but he failed. He hates you and I with all the vitriol of King Herod who got duped by the wise men and retaliated by committing genocide. And just like Herod's family lost its throne, Satan has been thrown out of heaven. And so now he's after you and me. And, and some days you may feel just like that woman in Revelation 12. Uh, you may feel like you're being chased into the desert of life. You might feel like you can hear that growling from behind and like you can feel the enemy nipping at your heels. You know, sometimes it seems as if the river uh, of circumstances like that dragon breathed out are actually going to sweep you away. But this is the comfort that comes from that passage. You will not be overcome because we belong to Christ. And in him, our lives and our faith and our service are the weapons that the kingdom of heaven employs in its battle with Satan and his legions. And you know what? When that's not enough, and it never is, just in our own strength, God will open the earth to swallow up that river of rage just like he opened the empty tomb and giving us proof that we don't have to be afraid even in the face of Satan's insidious strength because the glorious fact is that while we are yet engaged in a battle, it's a battle whose outcome is already guaranteed. We're fighting a defeated foe. And brothers and sisters, that defeat started Christmas Day. Pastor Doug Wilson wrote of this. He said, Bethlehem was the opening gambit in the last campaign of a long war. He says, at the beginning of our world, scarcely had our race fallen into sin and darkness, but God our Father swore that the seed of the woman would have vengeance upon the serpent, promising us a glorious deliverance. And so for long ages, the faithful looked ahead to that undefined day, figuring, studying, mentally groping what form would the dragon slayer take? What form would the serpent worm have in the day when his head was finally crushed? And then it happened. Many centuries after our father, Adam, had first plunged our race into the insanity of sin, God finally made his opening move. Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, to fulfill every one of God's promises, every one of the promises God had made during our long years of night. That one promised in Genesis to our first parents in the wake of their snake-inspired rebellion when God said to Satan in Genesis 3, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, 
and between thy seed and her seed. And what's the last part say? It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Jesus is the seed of the woman. And even though he was mortally wounded at the cross, he crushed the head of the serpent, thus making Christmas the birthday celebration of the great dragon slayer. And for every man and woman in him, making you and I a race of dragon slayers. And how do we do it? How do we kill those demons? We wage our flank of battle. Uh, how do we do that? We do it through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of our testimony. We do it in response to the call to repent and believe the gospel. We do it by confessing our sins to God and to each other and forgiving each other quickly when we wrong one another. We do it through the ordinary means of grace in the preaching of the word and participation in the sacraments. And this is our testimony that we have been washed and forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And brothers and sisters, now we don't have to be afraid. And so lift up your heads. Lift up your hearts. Christ is born. The dragon has been defeated. And the seed of the woman has come. And his feast table awaits. Will you join me there? Let's pray together. God, our Father, it's truly right and our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise especially in this Holy Supper, recalling the perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ, and asking you, Lord, by the joy of his epiphany and in expectation of his coming again, that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. So come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this time and in this place, that eyes may be opened, that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out on us your spirit and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.